This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Broadcast recently had a hangout on the subject of bivocational ministry and tent making with Mark, who is currently involved with a church plant in a Middle Eastern context. In this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that session. You can find the full notes on the session at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 107. So here is the hangout. I guess there's probably four um, different uh, funding models that we have. So one would be the traditional um, you know, fundraising. So whether that's you know going and asking people, building up a budget, moving overseas, um, or whether that's just kind of praying and seeing God um, provide through different people. You know, the kind of OM Hudson Taylor um, sort of model. Um, and there's there's obviously a lot of advantages to that if you're if you're going and you've um, you know you, you know that you have got enough money to live on. But um, at the same time, it's it's one of the things we see people struggle with so much is the idea of identity. Uh, I guess we can imagine that, you know, in the UK, if you had a, um, a very fundamental Muslim or something move into the next door house, um, they didn't have a job, uh, they didn't have any language. They said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of learning language. And then, um, you know, maybe after a couple of years, uh, they, they, they knew a bit of language, but it's still they didn't have any kind of um, any any job or any kind of relation with the community, um, uh, often as well for foreigners here, you're, you're, you're having to send your kids to a uh, English speaking school or something, which is kind of the you know the most expensive schools around for expats. So you're living a very um, to localize a very uh, expensive lifestyle, but with no visible means of support. And um, we've seen that's quite uh, detrimental in a lot of ways in the churches. So people will come home to the churches local uh, people and they'll come to faith and then they'll say, well, all of these other um, uh, people that are Christians that happen to be foreign and I happen to be local, they, they, they all have their, their, their schools paid for, their jobs, their, their, their place of, um, uh, their house paid for and their, uh, you know, they've got this car and stuff. So how, how do I get some of this, this magic money? Um, and it, it, we've, we've really seen that's quite detrimental in some churches. Um, in the way of just building a uh, genuine community. So one of, the, one of the things that we as a team have been quite strong on is um, for everyone to be, to be working. So the leadership team of the church says, uh, myself, obviously, I'm working, uh, I'm trying to work kind of part-time, so two, three days a week, um, and, uh, and then spend the rest of the time with the church. We've got another guy who's retired, but he spent all his life in business, um, and uh, then another foreigner in the church who's, um, who's also been working uh, all the time uh, we've been here and we've found that's a lot um, it just builds uh, a lot of a better foundation into the church when people you know when everyone um, sees that people are working they think well I need to you know I need to think about getting a job or getting skills and uh, it's been useful as well through the different connections that we've had here um, of people that we've met whether that's business people or whether that's um, uh, you know different language schools that we've actually been able to help various um, local people get jobs um, through through different friends and connections um, that we've got. Uh, it's also, in many places, it's difficult to get uh, visas 
um, and access as well, unless you have a, a particular job that you're going into, unless the country and the company in the country says we have a need for this particular person. And this is obviously very true for people moving to the UK, but um, uh, also for most countries. And they, 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 they say, um, you know, the only way that you can come here is if you, if you are um, a particularly skilled person and you're able to fill out this, uh, this gap that we have. So, uh, yeah, you know, those are some of the issues, I guess, with the, um, uh, with the fundraising model. Um, but uh, in and of itself, it's, it's also very valid in many areas. We know many people that do very good jobs with that. And, um, you know, as I say, I've been on, uh, on poor support as well, but for, for some of the time, it, it does help you be a lot more um, productive. Uh, another, uh, you know, kind of another model that we see quite a lot is um, the self-supporting. So that's coming and, um, uh, you know, getting a visa, being invited over and working in a business. It can be very hard in that context to learn language. So um, I've seen a number of people do that, but I think unless you have a, a couple of year period at the beginning that you do say, we're going to spend at least 60, 70% of my time doing language, so you know, maybe only working two days a week, if that, then um, it's very, very difficult and very few people manage to obtain a level of fluency that means you can be really effective with that. I think um, particularly with English teaching, it can be very hard once you start that, it can be very hard to escape from that sort of bubble of just speaking English the whole time. And um, when we are on mission and when we're doing church, um, I think it's, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously different callings and different things, but one of, the, one of the most important things we found is being able to speak people's native language, to speak their heart language. That really um, opens people up. It's really so important in discipleship. Um, and so I think uh, those, you know, it's, it, it's great that people are able to support themselves in that way, um, but it does also make it very difficult to do um, church planting, to build relationships with um, local people. Even if they are fluent in English, it can still there can still be a gap if you're if you're only speaking English with them. Um, uh, there's another uh, strand of uh, or, or model which um, I guess would traditionally be called tent making, business as mission, business for transformation, um, and that's been quite popular in the past few years. And I, I think um, it's a, it's a very good model and it's a very good idea. But what we've seen here, at least, is that it's very very difficult um, to make a, a business um, successful in practice. I mean, I don't know if anyone. Uh, any any of you have st tried startups in the UK? Um, that's probably ten or a hundred times easier than doing that overseas, um, in my experience. So I've seen, um, as I say, I've tried probably four of those, and um, none of them have got very far. Uh, I know of uh, maybe fifteen or twenty people doing that in different ways um, in this country, and um, I'm. I'm there's, there's one or two that are successful, but the, the vast majority, it seems to be um, either just one or two people, uh, they've maybe got a couple of employees, and they're spending 50, 60, 70 hours a week just trying to make the business have enough turnover to make money to be able to pay their employees, let alone to be able to support themselves. Um, now, there obviously, there are some success stories, but it does seem to... Um, sucks so much of time and energy uh, that I think unless you've got a specific calling um, for doing that, it can be it can be very um, very difficult to uh, do a successful um, tent making or businesses mission business, especially in areas 
um, uh, such as the city that we're in, uh, where the, the cost of living is, is, is naturally very high, where there's a lot of competition. The, the, the businesses that I've seen that in this area seem to work the best would be ones where um, they are, they, they've fought what is the key advantage that I can bring as a foreigner, and especially as a bilingual um, foreigner. Um, and so it's very much kind of bridging Easterns and Wests um, in terms of trade. So whether that's, um, there's a successful company that I know that imports very expensive computers from America um, into, uh, into the country. And um, there's only you know, three or four different players in this field. They've got kind of exclusive distribution agreements or things like that. They've got contacts in the big companies. It really opens doors. It really enables uh, witness, but it can be a very um, cutthroat marketplace as well. So it can, be, it can be very difficult to make something like that um, work. Uh, there's other ones where um, you know, people have said, well, what's a, uh, what's a product that works really well in, 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 in my area, you know, what's a secret recipe? There's a, there's a place here that's, um, uh, that does cheesecakes, which are amazing. They kind of, they're always winning these awards um, because it's some special family recipe from America. So what is, what is your kind of unique selling point um, that you can really be bringing? Because there's no way you can, you can open a cafe and compete with, with locals who probably aren't paying their tax in many areas of the world, um, who are kind of cutting corners, who have lower living expenses, and who have more of a grip on the community. There's no way you there's an equal playing field. So it's, um, it's, it's really thinking, you know, what's, the, um, what's the, the real advantage? What are the real connections that I have in my home country that I can be bringing over here? Um, and, uh, and, and using it to, to, to bless people. And it, it can be such a powerful um, agent of change and um, uh, such a powerful way to, to witness and to speak into people's lives. And we've certainly seen that, and I don't want to downplay that. Um, but at the same time, I've seen um, you know, a lot more of these uh, things fail or kind of tick over and just, um, uh, just, just suck so much of the time and energy and uh, resources out of the people doing them, but they uh, they can end up feeling not very uh, productive compared to how they were how they were hoping to be. I guess there's uh, so that's the fundraising, um, the self-support uh, by working locally, the uh, tent making, which is probably more the, the business's mission one, which is probably more as um, uh, aiming to start a business, employ multiple people in the com- in the country, um, and then just recently. Uh, there's probably also the remote working category, which has never been um, possible at uh, this time in history, but uh, at previous times, but at uh, this time in history, um, it does seem to be uh, that the, the world is just getting so much smaller with the internet, and there's so many things that you can now do um, remotely, which were just not possible before. It seems like pretty much every profession, um, you can uh, at least... Uh, to some extent, earn money through, through through doing this remotely, and as I say, that's um, uh, that's that's what uh, I've been doing for the past few years. Um, obviously, there's disadvantages of this model as well. Um, in that, uh, you know, while you can probably earn good money by 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 doing a specific thing, it requires a very um, deep skill uh, knowledge in the area uh, because you're you know, you're competing with people in much lower wage countries like India or China or some of these places, especially in the areas of of web development. Um, it requires a lot of connections in your home country uh, or in different places where you can actually sell your, your products and, and, and services. And it does um, take you away from, 
uh, from, from local people. So a couple of days a week, I'm just kind of sat at home um, typing away on my computer and you think, well, what's, what, what, what good am I doing here? How am I, how am I reaching local people and um, engaging with the, with the culture and wrestling with the issues that they face? Um, but uh, at the same time, in, in, in my context at least, I found that uh, you know, being able to work uh, like this as a sacrifice for um, two, three days a week um, and then being able to give the other four or five days to the uh, to the church um, is 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 really beneficial and is is quite a good balance um, for us. So I think uh, yeah we've got these we've got these four um, different models that I've seen. I think there's very good advantages, um, various disadvantages um, in in all of these. Um, but as I said at the beginning, I think the most important thing is to um, really keep the idea of uh, flexibility and openness, listening to God's calling. I think for doing any of these things, um, for moving overseas or for um, starting a business or for any of these things, you need to have a really specific um, calling from God because it's not, there's no kind of magic bullet, there's no really easy way to do this, there's no 10-step plan. It's different in every um, situation, it's different for every person, for everyone's skill set. Um, there's a book I'd really like to uh, recommend. Um, it's by a guy called Patrick Lai. It's called Tent Making. It's got a red cover. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, they've got it as an ebook. So that's Tent Making by Patrick Lai. I found that very useful. It's, it's not um, even so much about business as a um, basically a survey of uh, hundreds of people working, um, particularly in the Muslim world, um, and uh, seeing uh, what are the things that people do um, that uh, seem to make them effective uh, in terms of uh, starting businesses or planting churches or seeing believers. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's got a lot of very good um, examples and very good uh, stats in there um, about things to think about before moving overseas and also while you're there. Uh, and so I found that book very helpful um, from just thinking through different uh, ways to do things differently or things to focus on. Um, and it's great. A lot of his conclusions are things that we would totally agree with. So the biggest, one of the biggest factors was, um, uh, does this person do more than uh, half an hour, 40 minutes of quiet time a day? Are they praying? Are they reading their Bible? Um, are they practicing fasting regularly? Um, and, and, and just um, just standard things like that. But I, certainly from coming from a mathematical, from a computer background, I found it very useful to um, see some of these stats and and figures and um, uh, that he's been able to see and some of the exciting stories of um, uh, church, church planting movements and growth and um, starting businesses overseas um, are just so encouraging when the when the going gets tough. So uh, just in the last five minutes, I want to turn um, to the Bible, to uh, Acts 18. When we were first thinking of moving to this country, um, I was reading through Acts and um, uh, really, this idea of just kind of we, we want to be here, we'll do whatever it takes, um, really came from this uh, this passage in Acts. So um, it's Acts 18, and um, uh, we just uh, I'll read through it and just kind of do a running commentary on it, basically. But Paul um, has uh, just been in uh, Athens, uh, and before that, he's been in uh, Thessalonica and uh, Beria uh, in Acts 17. And he's been kind of kicked out of there and stoned. And in Athens, he's been mocked. Um, and, you know, he's seen, he's seen fruit in all of those places. Um, but I, I get the impression that he's coming to Corinth um, really kind of 
downcast and um, in a very difficult situation. He's alone as well because he's left some of his friends in uh, Thessalonica and Berea to, um, uh, to disciple the new believers, but it was too dangerous for him to be there. So it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. Pontus is a place in Turkey. Um, actually, obviously, Corinth is now in Greece. Um, and it says he'd just come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Um, so this uh, Suetonius, a Roman historian, says um, in about 50 AD, um, there were big riots in Rome on behalf of this uh, guy called Crestus. And most people would say, well, that was, um, that was actually the um, riots in Rome amongst the Jews in particular. Um, and most people would say that's a corruption of the word Christus, Christ, um, because he didn't know that, that his actual name was, was Jesus. So that was you know, just kind of reporting the hearsay on, on the riots. But as a result of that, um, uh, of, the, of the riots that uh, these Jews uh, were doing, um, the emperor orders all of the Jews to leave their homes, leave Rome. So effectively, um, Aquila and Priscilla are, um, are refugees. Uh, they, they probably had a business and a, a home and a family in Rome, and now they've been uh, they've been kicked out of there, and they're, um, uh, they're probably not penniless, but they would have had to move um, very quickly in a daze. And um, it was probably on on, on behalf of the uh, the, the, the Christians um, uh, who were who were there. Um, that these these riots had, had started, that the Jews protesting against the Christians, as we see elsewhere in the Book of Acts, and so they are now uh, basically exiled from Italy, and they've moved to they've moved to Greece, I guess, kind of halfway back from um, uh, from Aquila from uh, Aquila's hometown in uh, in modern day Turkey, and so at this time it doesn't seem like Aquila and Priscilla are actually Christians. Uh, you know, it's described as a Jew. And um, uh, they've been asked, to, they've been ordered to leave Rome because they're Jews. And it says, uh, the text continues, Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So it looks here like Paul, um, we've, we've never seen Paul working elsewhere before. He was probably relying on support. But here, um, he's run out of money. His friends haven't joined him yet. And he, uh, he starts up a, a business. Um, with these, these non-believers, there's, there's quite a question often in, in businesses, mission, business for transformation type books. You know, should you start businesses with non-Christians? Should it only be Christians in the, um, um, in the kind of upper management and, and directorship of the company? Or can you have non-believers there as well? Uh, it looks like Paul didn't really have any, any kind of issue with that. It looks like he kind of set up a partnership um, with these non-believers. Um, and uh, later on in the text, we see that they've, they've come to faith, they travel with him to Ephesus in Turkey, and then he leaves them there, and they kind of continue to um, serve in the church there. So at the beginning of the chapter, Paul is, is penniless, he meets this refugee couple, um, and he starts a, a business uh, with them in tent making, which is an area that he was skilled at. There'd, there'd always be demand um, for tents in that area of the world at that time, um, so it seems like a very good business decision. Uh, it continues, every Sabbath... He reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. It's interesting here. It, it says only every Sabbath and the, and the rest of the time. It kind of says Paul did this all the time, etc. But obviously here he's working um, as a tent maker six days a week. He's not, he's not got the time um, to really be effective there. And then the text continues. It says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, from Thessalonica, um, uh, obviously then 
Philippi, and then from Macedonia, it says Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So he's, um, he's, he's started this, this business, but then um, it seems, uh, you, can, you can look the references up, but it says um, in 2 Corinthians 11, 9, um, uh, obviously written to the church in Corinth, um, it says, I was not a burden to anyone. I wasn't, I wasn't um, taking support from um, the new believers or the prototype church in Corinth, but um, the people from Macedonia supplied what I needed. And then later in Philippians 4.15, um, it seems to say that actually this money just came from one church, from the rich Roman colony in Philippi. So um, it says there, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. So when he received some additional money, some additional finance, uh, from this church in, in Philippi uh, that was blessing him. Then he was able to devote himself exclusively um, to the preaching. So he left the business that he'd started with Aquila and Priscilla. Um, probably by that time, they, they'd come to faith or they were very near. And then it's, um, it's just after this, in kind of verses 6, 7 onwards, and that's when, um, that's when the, the riots start to happen. So obviously, while Paul is doing this, this tent-making, this, um, this business, He's working hard six days a week and in the Sabbath he does what he can, um, but it's not amazingly effective. But it's when um, he gets the money to be able to go full time, um, that's when he can be a lot more effective in um, planting the church and in testifying that Jesus is the Messiah. So, yeah, as I say, I really just want to emphasize this over again. It seems like Paul didn't have any particular... Um, uh, any particular idea of you know this is what we're doing this is the specific thing it seemed like he was more you know more than happy to be adaptive and flexible he had a profession that he was able to fall back to um, when there wasn't money around he was happy to uh, start businesses with even non-believers um, and just witness to them through his work but then also when there was uh, money he was able to um, devote himself to being uh, give himself fully to the work of church planting and preaching, and he was happy to do that. So that's the, the model that we've been trying to follow um, here. That's very much what we said from the beginning. You know, we'll do whatever we can to be here. We'll try and spend as much time as we can um, with the church, but we'll do um, whatever it takes uh, to be here, whether that's people giving us money, whether that's through work um, or, or whatever, uh, whether that's through starting businesses. Um, we really want to be here. We really want to be a blessing to the community. We want to be an example um, to the believers that it's good to work. Um, and we want to be uh, sharing and showing the love of God to people. So that's where I'm going to finish uh, talking now. And um, yeah, let's have some questions. What if your tent making job demands most of your time and energy? Bit of a follow on. Um, are you useful in church planting if your only contribution is financial tithing and being a keen church member? Yes, relationship building with those you meet. I'm thinking of going with, as a medical missionary and I'm finding it very difficult to work out how I would ever have the time or energy to be involved um, in, an, in actual church planting activities. Uh, and then she's just put a little, uh, uh, an extra bit on here. The two hospitals she's got linked with are not church-based though our mission run. So any, any advice particularly for this, this young lady that's messaged in? Yeah, I think um, especially in a, in a medical context, but in other contexts, it can, be, it can be great. You know, you do 
um, have a big uh, influence in, in people's lives. I mean, your, your circle of friends, if you're in a, in a normal workplace, at least your circle of friends, it's likely to be quite small, five, ten people maybe. Um, but there are always people looking at you to see how you react. And there'll, there'll always be people asking, um, especially if you're doing more obvious things like, you know, just praying before you eat or offering to pray for people or things like that. Um, and we have seen people, you know, bring, bring their friends along to church. I think um, a realistic expectation would probably be that you wouldn't, um, you wouldn't see much in the way of people coming to faith or in the way of being able to um, disciple people particularly deeply. I think you'd need to be um, okay with uh, leaving that to um, people that have, have more time and, um, and language ability in, 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 in that area. But I think if you're if you're happy with that, then you can be a real um, influence uh, working overseas. I think with the, with the medical thing in particular, you can be a blessing to um, to so many people, and um, you can, you know, I mean, I, I know in England, obviously, with the, with the NHS, it's very difficult. But in most parts of the world, um, you can. I think it's fine to offer to pray for people or to, you know, just to do do things that show you're different from other doctors um, and pray for God to give you um, uh, give you opportunities there, whether that's through inviting to events at church or um, um, or other things. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's there's a lot of ways of being useful, but I think um, you should go with a realistic expectation that um, you're not going to be the person that's doing the preaching at the church or. Um, doing the, the, the discipling of people or so on. I think you need to be realistic that actually, you know, this is going to be a, a full-time job. And actually, for most parts of the world, full-time probably does mean six days a week and, you know, some evenings and things as well. Um, yeah. And uh, that's, yeah, you know, going along to church, um, tithing is, um, yeah, getting getting money to um, uh, to do church plants is, is very difficult. So I think, you know, yeah, if people are working full-time and tithing, coming along and trying to invite some friends and, and witness in their communities, I think that's great. But I think that should be a, a realistic expectation um, of what you would actually be able to do. Um, and then take that realistic expectation and probably reduce this a bit even more because of, just because of the, the, the natural stresses and strains of, um, of living in a context that you're not used to. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Um, Jocelyn, I hope you found that a helpful answer to your, your question. Thank you, Mark. That was uh, um, very comprehensive. Um, there's a question about the prophetic in as much as you, you spoke about when you came back to the UK, you felt God speak to you about starting a business. Have there been other times when you have felt God prompt you regarding the work uh, that you've been involved in? And how important would you see the, the prophetic in regards to tent making? Absolutely. I think it's so important. I think um, uh, pretty much everything I do would be guided by that to some extent. Um, uh, for me, the prophetic is not usually a bolt from the blue, but it's probably more I've thought about things. I've come up with a list of things that seem sensible to do um, or potential options. And I pray about it. And rather than being the most sensible one, it's probably the second or third in the list that God guides me to. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, mission overseas, I think um, yeah, business overseas, I think it all has to be guided by a very clear sense of calling. Um, and I think the prophetic is so useful in that, whether that's just personal relationship with God or whether that's through um, other people that, that you trust that would um, corroborate on that. 
Okay. Brilliant. Excellent. So an everyday thing anyway, as opposed to just specifically, obviously. Um, that's a, a good bit of wisdom. Um, there is a, another question here, which is about a, a broader one, which is, are there particular character traits that you think are helpful for somebody who is looking to tent make, do tent making and church planting? So, so it's character traits. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I think... Um... I think one of the character traits which is not useful, and I wish I'd known and been able to work on that a bit um, before I before I moved to the Middle East, um, would be the self-reliance and independence. Um, I think that's often valued quite a lot in people working in, in startups or, or maybe even church plants um, in the UK. But in collective cultures. Um, in, in Asia or the Middle East, that can actually be detrimental. Um, people do want to get to know you, people do want to help you. Um, and so I think as much as you can be open to asking for help, um, that's actually a key way of building relationship. Um, I think character traits that are good would be um, a very strong uh, emotional uh, and spiritual maturity. Uh, it's, you know, in, in any sort of pioneering work, um, whether that's church planting or um, uh, in, in the UK or abroad or, or starting businesses, um, uh, people will say all sorts of different things, and you have to um, uh, you, you have to not be um, kind of tossed each way by different criticisms or different um, things that people say. But you have to very much say, you know, this is this is my calling. This is what God has said. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna take wisdom from people, but I'm not gonna be rocked every time. Um, Wisdom, wisdom comes um, I think uh, perseverance is is also key. I think I think it's pretty similar to um, uh, you know doing doing startups or doing doing church planting in the UK. To be honest, I think these are probably similar things that you would um, that you would be looking for. I think it really is a sort of pioneering spirit. You don't necessarily need to be visionary. I'm not I'm not very visionary. I don't tend to have many ideas. Um, and actually people that do tend to find it difficult to focus on one particular thing, which is often the way that you need to go to um, to be able to build a business um, or, or build a profession. Um, but uh, it certainly helps to have visionaries on the team as well. I think um, a sort of a leadership ability as well would be, um, would be good, certainly being able to lead yourself, but also being able to lead and communicate well um, with others uh, would also be important traits, I'd say. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and at the beginning of that answer, you spoke about the fact that a character trait that you, you wish you that you hadn't have had so much of at the beginning and the, the independence thing. Um, somebody else has asked, um, is there anything that you would do differently again uh, if you were to start again and, and do this journey um, all over? So uh, just, yeah, a reflection of what you would do differently. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm... I'm fluent uh, in the language. I uh, I preach regularly and disciple people, but um, working for the first two years, even even though it was only part time, twenty hours a week, there were there was a certain amount of responsibility that I had in the job um, as well. And I I think if I did it again, I would try and even reduce that amount to get more language in, in those first two years. Um, to be honest, I realise our situation we're very lucky. Um, that we're even able to, uh, you know, that I've 
has he been able to, to, to do that much? But um, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, I, I think you're never going to have um, issues if you spend more time and more effort doing language um, at, the, at the beginning in the first in the first year or two. Um, other than that, I think I think it's very difficult to see in, in retrospect. I think um, you know having a stable job for a bit. I think going into consulting and I think you know, kind of trying different things in the startup scene. I think those are all um, they've all been good. They've all been right for the different times. Um, and so yeah, I think I'd really just encourage people to try um, and be open to to, to the different um, uh, to all of the different possibilities that there might be. Okay, fantastic. Um, that's really helpful. Um, oh. Uh, just another question this has popped in from Rachel. Uh, I was about to go for another question, but Rachel, we'll go with yours. Um, when you were working remotely, did your boss ever ask you about how the church plant was going? That was actually um, quite amazing. I didn't, I didn't talk about that in the story, but um, as when I, when I first started my job, I was able to have some quite good conversations. I was very open about being a Christian, um, and we had some some good chats with with various co-workers about God, but. Um, yeah, after the first six months, those really dried up. Um, I guess it's kind of like, you know, your hobby is swimming, someone else's hobby is something else, you know, Mark's hobby is going to church idea. But when we said uh, we're moving overseas to start a church, that's when people really started um, asking deeper questions, uh, especially I used to come back four times a year for a week um, in the office just to see people. And I actually got very little work done in those times because there were so many people coming and asking questions about Jesus and how the church was going. They were, they were genuinely asking questions. And in the, in the computer programming profession, I mean, everyone's an atheist. There was like one other Christian in this company of a couple of hundred people um, that I knew of. Um, and so I, I, I found I had more deeper, good quality conversations um, with people in the company that I was working for. Um, since moving overseas than, than, than before that time. But those, those conversations were mostly um, when I was back in the UK rather than when I was actually working remotely. Wow, there you go. That was a brilliant answer and a good question, Rachel. Um, that was uh, quite, yeah, quite unsurprising in one sense. Um, so one final question then uh, for this evening, unless anyone else is going to post anything in the next minute. Um, you mentioned a book uh, someone's just asking, could you just tell us again what the name of that book was? And also, were there any other resources, books that you recommended people um, dip into? Yeah, I've not really read that much. Um, but yeah, as I said, the book was is by Patrick Lai, L-A-I, called Tent Making. It's got a big red cover. Um, but it's it's much more about, uh, much more general about mission um, than uh, about tent making. I think one of the key things that he um, that he talks about to do with business in the first couple of chapters is that um, it's okay to be going on full support and just you know just being as open as you can with people about that. It's okay to be going and um, starting a business and um, you know saying that we're doing this and you know maybe that we're, we're Christians and we do it because we love the local people and we want to. Um, we want to bring employment and, and, and bless you and so on. But the thing it's not okay to do is to um, get foreign money from overseas and use a business as a kind of a front for just getting a visa. So say I'm working as this, but actually spend like two hours a week doing it or something like that and actually be seen to spending you know, five, six days a week actually doing church stuff. Um, yeah. 
And he, he says that's really counterproductive. I mean, it's been it's been used in some of the much more closed countries. Um, yeah. But he says that people can people are much more intelligent than we might give them um, credit for. They can see through that straight away, and in the long term, it ends up being very um, counterproductive to building an identity and to relating well to people um, and to uh, seeing people come to a, a true understanding of Christianity rather than something that's more financially based. Um, brilliant. Was, was there anything else? I mean, that was one book. Was there, was there anything else to see that, that comes to mind? Or was, was really that the one they wanted to plug? Just checking. Yeah, that's 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 really the um, the only one I can, I can I can think of, or the one that's been most influential for me. Fantastic. Um, before we wrap up, Mark, is there anything else that you want to say by way of encouragement? Thinking of people that are in the UK church planting, people that are abroad that will be listening to this, that are are. are both, both lots tent making. Is there a final encouragement that you, you wanted to bring before we, we end tonight? Yeah, I think often when we're talking about these things, it can be quite um, uh, difficult. I think, um, you know, you have to think realistically, you have to understand, you know, this is this is a struggle. Um, it's it's going to be years often in the West. We want kind of instant um, results. We want to say, you know, yeah, I learned the language in two weeks and I, I started a successful business and I planted a church and we saw 100 people come to faith in it. We need to be realistic that it doesn't happen like that. But um, we also need to be realistic that if you uh, do go deep into a culture, if you learn the language well, if you're faithful to God, then he will... Um, provide growth and, and blessing. We've really seen that. I've, I've seen so much over the past um, eight, nine years that God um, really does provide, even when we don't expect that um, he really does uh, bring um, people to faith who you, you wouldn't have ever expected um, or met. And that's, um, yeah, that God's, God's timing is, is a lot slower than we would um, think or want in the West. But if we are faithful, um, and if we persevere um, and if we count the cost well before going um, and try and follow God in all of these things, then he will bring um, growth and uh, blessing. He will sustain us. Um, and he does, you know, he does want his kingdom to come to every every nation in the world, every, every people group in the world. Um, and he provides us all of these different uh, amazing opportunities to do that. So I think I really want to be encouraging that you know, God is working um, in even what we perceive as the hardest places. Um, he wants to use uh, so many people with all the skills. There's a great bit at the end of um, 1 Corinthians 15. And um, actually, this was, uh, this was something God spoke to me. I, hadn't, I didn't even realize until a couple of months ago it was in the Bible, but this is something God spoke to me a while ago. And he said, you know, what if um, I said nothing you do will ever be wasted? You know, you take so much more so many more risks, wouldn't you? You know, if you, you think, well, I spent three months working on this project and it went nowhere, it just flopped, it made no money, um, it took me away from my family, from my church. But, you know, what if God said everything, um, you know, everything you, you do will not be wasted. It's all stored up as treasure in heaven if you're being faithful to God. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, which is a great passage on the resurrection, um, it, it very much goes down that line saying, you know, nothing we do is going to be wasted. Um, when it comes to the resurrection and the creation, everything that God calls you to, um, everything that you do for him, it will receive its reward uh, in eternal life. And that's just such an encouraging thing um, to go out there and to be bold um, and to be following God in everything that we're doing, in whatever our context is. 
Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder, you can find the full notes on everything that Mark said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 107. See you next time.